who Jesus is. But if not, my prayer for you today is that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. As we walk through this text today, and that text is going to be Matthew 16. So everybody, I asked you if you had a Bible or a device that you could use the Bible. So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16 because I want you to check what I preach. I don't want you to just trust me and take me at my word. I want you to take God's word. So Matthew 16 will be our text for today. I'd like for you to listen considering this one important question, and it's on the screens. Have you died today? Have you died today? And as you ponder that very question, I want you to consider this as well. What have I died to? What have I died to? So have you died today, and what is it that you've died to? In Matthew 16, we find Jesus nearing the end of his earthly ministry. The time is coming for Jesus to slow down on the miracle working and to narrow in and help his disciples understand what their purpose is going to be going forward as they begin to build the church that he is the foundation of. The end of this ministry, as we, most of us know, is about to be fulfilled at this point in his subsequent death, burial, and resurrection, and ultimately his ascension into heaven. However, before Jesus could go back to the Father in heaven, he had to place a few stop signs on the road for these men to abide by in order that they may be able to carry out their God-given mission here on the earth. Jesus warns his disciples and us today of the potential deadly dangers that seek to destroy us, our walk with God, and our witness in the world. This text gives us three stop signs to prevent dying to the wrong things. So if you would, I'm going to read, we're going to pick this apart kind of verse by verse. That's kind of like the way I like to do it for anybody that's in the, in the Genesis study with me. You know, that's what I like to do. So I'm going to begin in Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. I'm just going to read the first four verses to start off. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. So at the beginning of the chapter, Matthew points out how only wicked people demand miraculous signs from Jesus to prove his identity. Have you ever heard anything like this recently in, in, in the Christian world right now about how people are looking for signs and wonders, trying to prove who Jesus is? I want you to know that that's our first stop sign. Number one, stop looking for miracles to prove who Jesus is. Stop it. He said a wicked and adulterous generation looks for signs and miracles. The signs and miracles are, were there for a reason. And there are countless miracle claims being given on a daily basis today. 
claims of people rising from the dead, which here in America, I'd love to see that happen. There was a sad, um, sad situation at a church here in America where a little girl died. And because of their theology, which is poor, faulty theology, they decided that they wouldn't bury this child, that they would make the parents go through this debacle of praying for this girl to be risen from the dead. And the sad thing is, guess what happened after four days? Nothing. That little child laid dead. Her lifeless body. Why? Because they were trying to portray something that the Bible does not teach. Can God raise from the dead? 100%. Absolutely. Yes, he can. But you cannot force God to do anything. I cried over that. That hurt. And I shared a lot of it with people. And I didn't care. Because they had no business doing that. Not only to the, the church. Not only to all the unbelievers that see it. But imagine being that mom and dad. Who really believed based on what they had been taught. That this was going to take place. Could God have raised that little girl from the dead? Sure he could have but not because he was told to. We don't tell God what to do. We petition him. We seek him first. And we hope for things, but we never demand God to do anything. You can't proclaim anything with your words. I'm not saying go around and speak every negative thought you possibly can speak on yourself. By no means. But you cannot demand God to do anything. That's a sad, faulty theology. Most of these things can't even be verified. There's a situation where preachers will go out on the streets and they'll find people who have one leg somewhat shorter than the other. And they do this trick where it makes it look like they're actually lengthening a leg, but it's really just a sleight of hand. It's just a picture that they make it look like that's what they're doing, but it's actually fake. And they go around saying that, that that's done in Jesus' name. That's blasphemy. That's a sad, sad state of affairs. And there are whole movements that base their entire ministry on signs and wonders. If you don't know who or what I'm talking about, do a search for signs and wonders movement. Or something that's referred to as the New Apostolic Reformation or the NAR. These so-called churches have hijacked the name of Jesus teaching what is known as dominion theology. Dominion theology teaches that Christians must take over seven major areas of society by using signs and wonders to usher in the kingdom of God. Now some of you have may never have even heard those terms before. But I'm here to tell you today that they are prevalent in the church of Jesus Christ. And it is a sad state of affairs because people are being misguided left and right and they're teaching others to walk that same path and it's a damnable path that leads you to hell because you're not believing in the true gospel they call it the seven mountain mandate education religion family business government arts and entertainment and the media look around you 
What do you see on all these things? You see Christians trying to take them over because they think that it will usher in the kingdom, that Jesus' second coming will come because of this. It's a lie. God is still in the business of healing and delivering. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a cessationist where I believe that the gifts of the Spirit are done. I don't believe that. That's not what the Bible teaches in, in my most humble, accurate opinion, as Greg would say. But you cannot invoke a gift of the Spirit. You cannot tell me that you're going to teach me how to prophesy because prophecy is a gift of the Spirit. It is not a gift of man. You cannot tell me that, hey, you have a broken arm, come here, let me pray over you, and I will be healed. Guess what? You can't do that because I can pray for you, but unless the Spirit does the work, I'm just an empty vessel. Can he work through me or someone else? Absolutely. I can lay hands on somebody. I have a personal experience. About 10 years ago, I was at our Seneca Lake admissions camp. And my back went out. That had never happened to me before. I had back issues when I wrestled in school, but I never really had any issues with not being able to move. I woke up on Wednesday morning at camp. Camp's five days long. And I couldn't move. I laid down in the dining hall there on a couch on my stomach. And a man who, I'll just, you know, he's passed on. He's with the Lord now. His wife is a very dear woman that's the, that just loves Jesus more than most people I know. He said, I'll pray for you. And he laid hands on me, and within 20 minutes, I was back on my feet. Now, do I believe that that was a healing from God? Absolutely. But do I think he invoked it? Absolutely not. He just was faithful in saying, I'm going to lay hands on this man, and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to trust God that he's going to do what's going to bring him glory. So right now, 10 years later, I can tell you the story where I was healed of this affliction because a man was faithful and trusted how gifts work. He didn't do it by his own strength or power. That's not how it works. But that's not what brought me to Jesus. I was already a believer before that. That didn't, that didn't bring me into the, into the family of God. I was already a follower of Christ. It was just confirmation that God's a lot bigger than we are. So, once again, does God use signs and wonders to save people today? I believe he can, and I believe he does. But I want you to hear this and hear it very well. That is the exception not the norm. Let me say that again. That is the exception, not the norm. When we go around spouting off that I have a healing gift that I can go and lay hands on you, and at that moment you're going to be healed, you are lying and blaspheming the name of Jesus Christ because you do not have that power. The Holy Spirit has that power who lives in you and can make that happen. So if you believe that it's him doing it, you might have a chance to see that person healed. But the minute you think it's you, forget about it. Because it's demonic and it's not of the, God, of the God of this Bible. Okay? Do 
Jesus reiterates what he had already told them in Matthew 12, 39-41, saying that the only miraculous sign that he would share was that of Jonah being swallowed by, swallowed by a huge fish and vomited out onto the earth. Jonah was in the belly of that fish for how many days and nights? Anybody know? Three, that's right. Hmm. The resurrection of Christ is the only authentic, real sign or wonder that you need. And how many days was Jesus in the grave? Three. So his picture of Jonah, Jonah is a type of what Christ would do by his death and resurrection. There are a great number of examples of things in the Bible that show us who Christ is. As I said at the outset of this message, Jesus says, I am. He is the Yahweh of the Old Testament. He is the God of the Bible. Let's move on. Matthew 16, and I'm going to read in verse 5, going to verse 12. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, It's because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You have little faith. Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So Jesus moves on with another stern warning. He warns his disciples of the dangers of listening to and learning from false teachers by referring to that teaching as yeast. Now, yeast in the Old Testament is a picture of sin. So when the Hebrew Israelites were rushing out in the Exodus, leaving Egypt, God said, don't wait and don't bake any bread with yeast. The yeast is a picture of sin. They want to leave that sin behind in Egypt. So the second stop sign that Jesus shows us is this. Stop listening to and reading false teachers. Jesus says to be aware of them. He uses the Pharisees and Sadducees as the prime example for what a false teacher looks like. These men added 613 external laws to the law of Moses so that you couldn't come near breaking one of the Ten Commandments. If you had a sheep that fell into a hole, you weren't even allowed to pull that sheep out, even though that's your livelihood. Today, if you're following the Jewish law, did you know that you can't even go up an elevator in Israel because if you push the button, you're working on the Sabbath? Six hundred thirteen extra things to stop you from breaking one of the Ten Commandments. They valued the traditions of men over and above the very Word of God. 
After a little nudging and clarification, the disciples figured out what Jesus meant by when he used the word yeast in the context. There are so many false teachers at the forefront of so-called Christian ministry today. We must be extremely careful to test and approve who we are listening to. If I put 10 pictures of different preachers up on the screens, and I'm not going to. I'm back now. I didn't touch it. Did anybody see me touch it? I didn't touch it. It's Greg's fault. He's not here. <laughs> um, so if I put those up, would you be able to identify who the false teachers are and who the, the true teachers are? I'm going to say most of us, if we're honest, are probably going to say, nah, I really don't know. I really can't tell. What would it take to know what a false teacher is? This. You're going to see a pattern about what I mean about this as I go on. How can we possibly know who's teaching truth and who is actually a wolf in sheep's clothing? Do you know what the problem is with a wolf in sheep's clothing? You know what it looks like? A sheep. It's in sheep's clothing for a reason. All these false teachers look like the authentic thing. Everywhere you look, look online, get on YouTube for five minutes. And I guarantee you'll find a false teacher. It won't take you long. It'll be just like that. Matters. Not that, Brandon. I'm at that, Brandon. I'm sorry, but you can. That's what happens when you have teenagers. You can just put them to work. Wait till she gets older. You'll understand. <laughs> we have to know what the Bible says. Listen to what the Apostle John had to say about false teachers. I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 4 for just a moment. Oh, we don't want to go that far. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now, even now, is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Take the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Take their prophet Notice I'm, I'm air-quoting prophet. He was wandering around trying to figure out which denomination was the right denomination to follow. And he's out in the woods, 
Not really sure what he was doing out in the woods, but I got a feeling I got, there's probably some drugs involved. Just saying. And he has this vision of an angel. An angel you don't read about in Scripture. And how he left these plates for him to interpret. And how this was going to be the, another testament of Jesus Christ. It's going to be another gospel. But Paul says, if you preach another gospel, other than the one that we preached to you, even if we come and preach it, even if an angel of God comes to you and preaches a gospel, other than the one that we preach to you, let him be anathema or cursed, damned to hell. It's fake. It's a false prophet. You can recognize it right at the door. But you'll only know that is if you'll know what the Word of God says so that you can combat these false teachings. You know what you do with a false teacher? The Bible says to mark and avoid them. Don't listen to them. They're going to have their little YouTube following. They're going to have their 25,000 member church and more than half probably 90% or more are going to go to hell because they don't have the real gospel. And if that doesn't hurt your heart, you might want to check your heart at the door because it should hurt your heart. It should hurt your heart knowing that people are lost and dying and they're hearing a false gospel throughout our country and it's rampant. And it's painful and it hurts. And that's why I'm here to say that I will disciple anyone who will give me the opportunity to read with you and to, and to help you understand the Word of God because I don't want to see anyone in this room perish. Ever. Let me be cursed if I don't do whatever I can to make sure that you're growing in your faith in God. That you are getting closer to Jesus and that you are then becoming someone who then goes out and shares that faith with others. Like Pastor Greg has been teaching us for the last six weeks. He's been equipping us. How do you share your faith? How do you make it real to somebody else? I like to say you love people to Jesus, but you've got to love them to the gospel for them to even know who Jesus is. Now, there are many growing misconceptions concerning Jesus' true identity. He asks his disciples plainly, who do people say the Son of Man is? The disciples throw out their best theological answers. They say John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Jesus knew exactly what the people thought about him. He was merely pressing his disciples concerning his true identity and pur purpose. So Peter... Being Peter, Mr. Foot in the Mouth, but this time he does well, everyone. Pay attention. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus then blesses Peter because of this answer. He reveals that this truth could only be revealed by his Father in heaven. And he reveals that this truth is the foundation of the church. Belief in Jesus as the Son of the living God. That he is God in flesh, God incarnate. Believing that Jesus was fully God and fully man is essential to the Christian faith. There are people that challenge the deity of Christ, the fact that he's actually God. There are people who go around saying they're followers of Jesus Christ who do not believe that he is God in the flesh. 
That is the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. I've listened to debates between what's referred to as Unitarians or Oneness Pentecostals and Trinitarians, people who believe in the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, which is taught all throughout the Bible. Open up the first page of the Bible and it says, in the beginning, God, Elohim, God's plural in a singular form, created the heavens and the earth. It goes down to verse 26. It says, let us make man in our image. What do you think that's talking about? It's talking about a triune God. But you got to know these things to be able to challenge these people because guess what? I don't just want to be right. Although if you ask my wife and kids, I like to be right a lot. I do. I do. I thought I was wrong once, but it was a mistake. Amen. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. The point is, is that I want them to know Jesus. I want them to know the real Jesus of this book. Not one they just made up because they think that it sounds good. Because in Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yes, he's one in being, but he's three in persons. Very important thing to understand and know. It's essential. You can't call yourself a Christian if you don't believe in Jesus being God in the flesh. Don't walk around calling yourself a Christian if you don't believe that. It's, you're, you're lying to yourself, and it's blasphemy. I told you I might ruffle some feathers. I'm sorry, but it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. Let's go. All right. Because his time had not yet come, he warned his disciples, don't tell anybody about this yet. It's not time yet. Don't tell anybody that, I, that this is what this is, the truth. Because if you do... I'm dying too soon. And there's a plan and there's a time that Jesus had to be on that cross. A, a literal time that was prophesied. And if it was any other time, he wouldn't be God in the flesh. It had to be that way. And he could not die abruptly and prematurely. Now, moving on. Matthew 16. Let's get to verses 21 through 23. I'm doing good on time. Right, Jimmy? Amen. All right. Verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, now remember, Peter just had a really, man, he just, mm, he just had such a good moment. You are the, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. But listen to this. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not know. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Ouch. Pull that dagger out of Peter, because that's rough. Doesn't that hurt? Imagine, like, you're next to Jesus and, Get behind me, Satan. Whoa, what did I do? That's what my wife says to me when I act up. I'm just kidding. She doesn't say that. <laughs> he began to reveal in very plain language. He was going to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer. He's going to die at the hands of the religious leaders. He also promised that he would raise from the dead on the third day. But Peter missed that part. All he could think about was the dying part. He didn't even listen to the part about, I'm coming back to life. It's just going to be three days. You'll be okay. But not so much. I'd probably be shaken if my best friend died. I know it happened, so I know what it's like. So it's pretty rough. But 
Peter missed it. Don't you just want to say, oh, Peter? Don't you just want to feel bad for him? He was doing so well. He received that blessing just six verses before. I don't know if you've ever read about King David and Bathsheba, but it was four verses and boom, he's done. It's very sad. He's doing great. Everything's great. And then Bathsheba. It's kind of the same thing here with Peter. It's pretty sad. He was riding that wave of great theological understanding. You guys ever read the Bible and you're like, I got it. That was Peter. I got it. And then he was like, "Mm, I lost it. Good thing we can't lose our salvation. Good thing we're assured in Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit giving is a deposit given to us, guaranteeing the hope that's to come. I'll praise God for that. Because we mess up, we sin every day. But God is faithful. And he gets the stern rebuke from Jesus. All right, stern's not a good word. Jesus called Peter Satan. That is harsh. But that's what's going to take us to our third stop sign. Stop trying to make God do things your way. I have to stop trying to make God do things my way. It's a failure every time when we try to get in God's seat. There's a picture you can, when you're sharing your And we're back. There's a picture you can draw. It's, it's of a, you just put a little box in the center of the paper. And that's God's throne. And you put a circle on the throne, and that's, that's, you, that's God sitting on the throne. And you're supposed to be sitting at the feet, so you put a little X at the feet. But how many times in life do you see that little X move, and it just gets up right on top of the circle? That's what we do. We go and we sit on his throne. That's a sad thing. Everything around the throne gets messed up when we're sitting on it. Because we don't have any business sitting there. That's Jesus' seat. Step off. Don't be in his seat. Because it messes everything up. In Isaiah, the prophet quotes God himself. He says, this is in Isaiah 55 and verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares Yahweh. Says the Lord in your most English translations, but it's, it's God's name. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, your ways are not my ways. Get off the throne. But P- Peter had a plan of his own. He wasn't about to sit back and just watch Jesus die. Not if he had anything to say about it. He was ready to go down swinging, or so he thought. Peter believed this so much that when Jesus was arrested, I don't know if you, it's in most of the Gospels. There's a story. It's actually in all four Gospels. There's a story about a servant of the high priest getting his ear cut off. But John, who likes to throw Peter under the bus, often, I don't know if you catch this, when you're reading John, he really does throw Peter under the bus. When they were racing to the tomb on, on Resurrection Sunday, John says, I got there first. So John's really bad about this. But he also says, he says that it was Peter. Peter's the one that did it. None of the other gospel writers, none of the other three say it. But John, he likes to throw Peter under the bus. I think they, I think they like, probably were really good buddies because they jabbed each other a lot. 
But it was Peter. He cuts off the, the servant of the high priest's ear. Like he was all about stopping whatever was going to take Jesus to that cross. Of course, until Jesus got arrested, then he hid like a little baby. He sat out in the courtyard by the fire. I don't know who you're talking about. That's pretty sad. Hopefully we're not like that when we're faced with adversity. But Jesus rebuked Peter because he was not walking in step with the Spirit of God. He was allowing his flesh to make the decisions. Like the Backstreet Boys or Frank Sinatra, Peter wanted it his way. Yes, I quoted back. I said Backstreet Boys and Frank Sinatra in church. Boom. Peter wanted it his way, but guess what? No, Peter was wrong. Not your way, God's way. That's what Isaiah said that God told us. Not our way, but his way. Sadly, all too often, that's exactly what we do. So I tell you, stop trying to make God do things your way. Now, I know that's a lot of heavy punch in the face that really hurts if that's how we're carrying ourselves stuff. But there is good news in this story. It's not easy news, but it is good news nonetheless. Let's finish out the chapter. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I gave you three proverbial stop signs that Jesus lays out in this passage. Now I'm going to give you a green light. Because if anybody knows me back in the day, I used to say red light a lot. When people would say something, Chad, you probably can testify. Red light. But now I'm going to give you a green light. And here it is. Die to yourself. Die to yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. What is the cross but an instrument of death? Surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. Now, have you already been called to that saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing the hope that's to come? When you sin, are you convicted in your spirit like that? Do you know when you've messed up before God? Or does it just run off your shoulders and you don't even really think about it? Doesn't mean you're not saved, but it certainly means you're a little seared. You're sizzling a little bit in the pot because you're not recognizing the Holy Spirit's work in your life. I can't judge someone's heart, but I can certainly look at fruit. And I can certainly see whether it's ripe or not. And the sad, sad thing is that all too often our fruit doesn't look ripe. It doesn't look ripe. 
So if you have been called to that saving relationship in Jesus Christ, and you have by faith confessed that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father, die to yourself. Daily. That's what Luke tells us. He says daily. Take up your cross daily. We're supposed to live for Jesus all day, every day, 365. We're not supposed to live for ourselves at all. Because when we live for Jesus, our life is so much better. When I'm walking in step with the Spirit, I'm in a better mood. I'm more beneficial to the people that are around me. People see the countenance on my face and see a difference in me if I'm walking in step with the Spirit. And when I'm not, they know it. Those closest to you, they really know it. They know when you're off because you're not walking in step with the Spirit. Jesus says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. So live for Jesus. Stop living to achieve worldly status, fame, fortune. Stop trying to think that you have arrived. None of us have arrived. We are all saints who were sinners, saved by grace, made new creation under the blood of the Lamb. Are you guys awake? We are saints who were sinners, who are saved by the grace of God under the blood of the Lamb. We don't have to live defeated. Dying to self is not a bad thing. Dying to self is life and life in him. That's real life. As long as you live for yourself or your family or your friends or whatever, you can't live for Jesus. Because when you live for Jesus, guess what you get with it? You get to live for your wife, your husband, your kids, your family, your friends. You get to live for all that when you live it through your relationship with Jesus. And you know what? It's so much better. My relationship with my family is so much better when I'm living it through Jesus. It is. No one can deny that testimony. If you have the Spirit of God in here today, you cannot deny that testimony. It's your testimony. Because it's absolutely 100% true. When you live through the Spirit, you live better. Your life is better. You have a confidence about who you are in Christ. And no one can challenge or take that away. You gain all those other things. All of the other relationships thrive when your relationship with Jesus is thriving. As long as the other parties are living for Jesus as well. Just saying. Sometimes we have a little conflict. But when we're walking in step with the Spirit next to somebody else who's walking in step with the Spirit. Oh Lord what he can do through those two people. Or a mass body of people. Here in this church, when we're walking in step with the Spirit, we then can make a difference in this community, in this world. 
We're not going to do it by dominion theology. We're going to do it by the Spirit of God working in and through us. We don't have control over other people. God gives us control over our own decisions. He gives us truth, and we have to decide what we're going to do with it. I was reading Joshua this week. I don't know why I went to Joshua, but it was fun. I got a kick out of it. Been a while since I'd read it. Look at what happened after Moses died. Joshua had to lead the people. If you don't know the stories in, jo- in Joshua, he leads the people into the promised land, and he's the like the he's like sergeant at arms. He's the boss. He's the general, and he leads the armies in, and they they take over everything. They cast out all the pagan nations and all the tribes that God needed to be moved because they wouldn't honor God. And Joshua was successful. There's a couple hiccups, but they weren't really on Joshua. There was another guy. His name was Achan. He's pretty lame. You can go to Israel and see his, his rock pile. It's pretty gross. Um, but he chose to live for God and lead others in that same desire. Joshua 24, 15. Guys, if you don't know Joshua 24, 15, you live under a rock. Not women. It's not a It's not a, it, they put it on shirts for guys. I don't know why. If you've ever seen the movie Courageous, it's very important. Joshua 24, 15 says, choose this day. This is Joshua's words. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He died after that. But he made sure that everybody knew that he was going to walk in step with the Spirit. And that he was going to honor God. Now know this, denying yourself does not mean that you can't have any fun or you have to be an old fuddy-duddy or you be a stick in the mud. Be you. If people know me, they know that anybody in here that knows me knows I just keep it real. I don't care. I don't care. If I hurt your feelings, I'm sorry, but did I hurt your feelings or did the Holy Spirit hurt your feelings by the Word of God? Because if that's it, I'm, not, I'm sorry, not sorry. But if I hurt your feelings because I said something stupid, then I will own it. But I keep it real. I don't, you, you see what you get, right? Everybody that knows me knows that. I'm just going to tell it like it is. I tell people, I've said this for many, many years. I used to teach a men's group only, which there's ladies in there now. It's kind of cool. But I used to teach a men's group for 12 years. And Chad, you're probably the only one left in here that can testify to this. I used to say on Sunday mornings in that 9 o'clock Bible study, if you're not all in, why are you in at all? Can't you do something better for three hours on a Sunday morning? I can't. I want to be around all of you. I want to be be growing in the Word of God. I want to be getting closer to Jesus. And I want to love people. I can't come up with anything better to do for three hours on a Sunday morning. But if I'm going to be here, I'm all in. You better be all in. Because if you're not all in, you might as well give up. Same thing with parenting. Like if you've got kids, if you're not all in, what's wrong with you? you? God's gift to you is your children. i got two of my seven here. You know? I'm dog-sitting for one of them, for one of the grown ones. That's pretty lame, by the way. I'm just saying. That's what it's about. It's about loving other people to Jesus. It's not about 
living for yourself. It's about denying yourself. But if you're going to be you, be the you that's grounded in Jesus. Be that you. Don't be the other you that lives for self, because if you do, it's really ugly. No offense, I've had some ugly moments in my life. I'm still struggling with it. <laughs> so this is what I'll tell you. Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from living for yourself. You know, you don't hear that very often. You don't hear the word repent. Stop walking in your own step. Walk in step with the Spirit. Repent. Turn from that. Follow Jesus wholeheartedly. If you die to self and live for Jesus, just watch. Just watch what he'll do through you. Just watch. You will see a difference in people around you because God is working in you because you have surrendered yourself to him. See, once we give our life to Christ, once, once we are saved and, and set free, we're not just supposed to take that and have fire insurance and just sit down and say, oh, I'm all good. This is a great place to be. No, you're called according to his purpose. His purpose is to set people free, to save people from their sins, to give them a life, hope, eternity with Jesus Christ. Remember what Paul says in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you think these goofy false teachers that you see on TV and on the internet that are falling down, jumping, looking like they're drunk in the spirit. Are you kidding me? How is that self-control? Give me a break. Give me a break. What a joke. What a joke. It's blasphemy. It's spitting in the face of God. Don't tell me that you can be drunk in the spirit.
And it is just amazing. Thank you, Caleb. Everybody give Caleb a hand. I listen to the Word of God as I go throughout the day. And you know what? I'm not bragging. I'm excited about it. And I want to share it. I don't want to be the guy who's the one reading his Bible looking like, oh, look at this guy. He's going down the street listening to the Bible. No. I want us all to be so passionate about the Word of God that our lives are changed by the Word of God. I want it to pierce my soul. I want to be changed. Don't you? Would you rather keep walking in the flesh, being a little tool for Satan? Nobody wants that. You can say you're a Satan worshiper and you still don't want that. You're lying to yourself. Read your Bible daily. The Word of God needs to be a daily part of your diet. Just do 10 minutes a day. You'll read two-thirds of the Bible in a year if you just read 10 minutes a day. It's amazing. You can be a slow reader and it still pays off. Oh, I'm not kidding. It's so awesome. Now, this is what I'm going to say to you. This, I've been waiting to say this for months. But I finished my Bible plan. I do a yearly Bible plan on the Bible app. If you have version, you probably know what I'm talking about. They have all kinds of plans. There's a yearly Bible plan. And some of the guys know, and my wife knows, I send out an invite for that. But what happened was I kind of started it in, like, later. So it ended in, like, August. So I'm like, I'm not going to start that app. I'm not going to start that plan again yet because I did it two years in a row. I said, I'm not going to stop and start that right now. This is what I want you to do. How many of you guys have the Bible app on your phone? I'm going to give you my email address here in a minute. This is what I want you to do. On January 1st, I'm going to start that plan again. Now, here's the thing. You read it. You may not get a lot out of it because you're reading a lot. There's probably, you're probably spending 10, 12 minutes a day. Oh, my goodness, what a sacrifice, 10 or 12 minutes a day. Guess what? We've all got 24 hours, so I got no excuse. Here's what I want to say to you about that. If you join that plan with me, it gives you places where you can comment on verses. You can ask questions. There's a thing at the end of every day that says talk it over. You can get in there, you can ask questions, you can, you can share something that you got out of the Word from that day. And guess what it does? Guess what it does? It encourages you. It inspires you. If you fall behind, so what? Catch up, it's no big deal. But it also builds fellowship in this place. I see guys comment, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that was going on in your life, but I'm glad I do now. I can pray for you. Or I can be excited that you experienced that. So that's what I want you to do. I'm going to, if you send me an email, I will send you the invite, and on January 1st, we'll all start it together. Just say it. Very, very important to be in the Word of God. My desire is that the people of God would know the Word of God that he or she may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. The word of God thoroughly equips you for every good work. It makes you into the person that you really want to be and that God wants to use. All right, just a couple more things. I'm almost done. I'm already a minute over, but you guys all right? Everybody good? All right. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. 
His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Then you'll also be able to test every single preacher that you hear and every single book that you read because you will have a firm foundation. You will know if what you're reading is biblical or if it's not or what you're hearing is biblical or if it's not. Because if you're listening to things that are not biblical but they come across as biblical, guess where you go? You go to a place that's not biblical and your life is out of turn and then guess where you end up sitting? Back on the throne in that picture. Not a good place to be. So you've got to know the Word of God to be able to challenge the things that aren't the Word of God. You know, quickly, there's um, the Secret Service, you know, when they're checking for counterfeit money. You realize when they are trained, they don't look at the counterfeit bills, ever. What do you think they look at? The authentic bill. They study it. They pour into knowing what the authentic bill looks like. So when a fake comes, guess what? That's fake. That's fake. Guess what? When you pour yourself into the study of the Word of God, when the fake comes, you can say, that's fake. That's not real. I'm not buying that. Take that to send that, kick that to hell where it belongs. It's not part of me. I don't want anything to do with it. Finally, remember your stop signs. Stop looking for signs and wonders to prove who Jesus is. You already know who Jesus is. Because every Sunday morning, Greg Cooper stands up here and shares the gospel, and every single one of you have heard it, everybody that's in this room, except for maybe a couple people who I've never seen before, welcome. But I'm just saying, maybe more than just a couple. There's actually a couple couples that I've never seen before. Hi. Don't, you don't have to wait back. Don't let yourself get called out. But I'm just saying, if those of you that have been here and have heard Greg Cooper stand up here in this pulpit, guess what? You've heard the gospel. You know who Jesus is. No excuse. All right. Number two, stop listening to and reading materials from false teachers. They're leading you astray. They're hurting your heart. They're hurting your walk with God. They're hurting who you know, what you know, and how you'll carry yourself. Stop it. And I'll say one, and I don't care. If you're listening to Joel Osteen, I'm going to smack you. I love you, but I'm going to smack you. Yes, God wants good things for you, but he wants it to be biblical. That guy's a joke. Sorry. I can say it and nobody can stop me because Greg doesn't have the button. Number three, stop trying to make God do things your way. It's not about you. It's about him. Go forward with the green light. Die to yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you love us, that you've given us your word. You preserved it over all these years. That, Father... Through your word, we know that you are God in the flesh. You paid for our sins on the cross, that you died. You rose on the third day. You ascended into heaven. You make a way. You intercede for us on a daily basis. And God, we are just so grateful for that right now. I thank you, Father, that you have set each one of us apart. You're sanctifying us by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that right now, if anyone in here doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that, Father, you would use your spirit to just pierce their heart right now. Draw them unto salvation.